we should never let any idea or any thought that comes into our mind go unchallenged or untested. Folks, you're in a war. That thought, that idea that comes into your mind may be from the enemy sent to distract you or to destroy you. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Did you know that you have an enemy? Who is he, you might ask? And how are you supposed to deal with him? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and today Tom has part two of his current series titled Learning to Use God's Armor. The Bible reveals you do indeed have a powerful enemy, but at the cross, Jesus Christ defeated this enemy. The victory is secure. The outcome is certain. But for you as a believer on the front line, you're still locked in a battle, and that battle will continue until Christ returns or until he calls you home. But the question remains, what does the Bible say about how to fight these battles? Let's join Tom Pennington to find out on The Word Unleashed. Verse 15 says that he was a being of absolute moral perfection. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created. I love the description, and I've read it often from Donald Barnhouse of this being. Quote, he awoke in the first moment of his existence in the full-orbed beauty and power of his exalted position, surrounded by all the magnificence which God gave him, He saw himself as above all the hosts in power, in wisdom, and in beauty. Only at the throne of God itself did he see more than he himself possessed. And it's possible that even that was in some sense not fully visible to the eyes of the creature. Before his fall, he may be said to have occupied the role of prime minister for God, ruling possibly over the universe, but certainly over this world. So what happened? Well, verse 15 of Ezekiel 28 is the only verse in the Bible that states exactly the origin of sin. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. It was in the heart of Satan. Sin began with spontaneous generation in the heart of this magnificent creature God had made the one to whom God had given so much power and so much authority and so much privilege. Verses 16 and 17 go on to identify the nature of this sin that was in Satan's heart. Look at verse 16. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." What is this talking about? The abundance of his trade. The reference probably means that he used his position for his own personal ambition. As one writer describes it, he trafficked in self-promotion. Verse 17 describes why. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. 
His heart was lifted up with pride because of the beauty in which God had created him. There is the origin of sin. There is the essence of the battle. You see, when this happened, Satan launched a rebellion. If we had time, I'd take you to Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, it describes the fact that a third of the angels that God had created were influenced by this magnificent creature and followed him in his rebellion, and God cast them all out of heaven. Now, that third of those powerful creatures have become Satan's angels doing his will. We call them demons. Together, these powerful beings wage war against God their Creator. You say, why? I think John Milton had the answer right in his great poem, Paradise Lost, when he had Satan say this, better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Satan continues to wage war against God until this very day. It started back in the garden. Read Genesis 3. He comes, and what's the first thing he says? Has God said, you will not surely die? And his assault continued in the ministry of Christ. You remember in the temptation in Matthew 4, he comes to Christ and launches his attacks at Christ. It continues today. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. You've got the armor of God standing against the devil. The war continues. Christian, understand this. The struggle in which you are involved is so much bigger than you and your sins and your sin habits and your weaknesses. The struggle in which we are involved is between the two most powerful beings in the universe. And you and I are merely foot soldiers on one side or the other. There's a fourth concept we need to understand. The nature of the war is spiritual. The nature of the war is spiritual. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It has nothing to do with the physical world. It's not against people with flesh and blood. Instead, it's against the spiritual forces, rulers, powers, world forces of this darkness, spiritual beings of wickedness in the heavenly places. People are ultimately not the enemy we're fighting. Now, it's true that people can be used as a as tools by Satan. So a particular temptation might come to us through a person. But that person is not the real enemy. That person is a victim, a slave of Satan. And by the way, can I just say as an aside, this is the problem with so much Christian political activism, is it redefines who the enemy is. Listen, our enemies are not homosexuals. Our enemies are not abortion doctors. Our enemies are not Democrats or Republicans. They're all Satan's pawns, his victims, his slaves, just like we used to be, Titus 3 says. Remember who you used to be. No, the true enemy Jesus identifies in Matthew 13 when he says, the enemy is the devil. Here's the important point we have to understand. 
If the battle is spiritual, then it happens where? In reference to us. It happens in the mind and heart. Let me show you this in several texts. Turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22, and look at verse 31. This is near the death of our Lord, and he says to Peter in verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you. Notice where the battle was going to be. That your faith may not fail. It's what's going on in your mind and heart. That's where the battle is, Peter. Satan is going to attack you at your faith in your mind and heart. And I prayed that it wouldn't fail. And that when you've turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. Look over at Acts chapter 5. This was true in the early church with Ananias and Sapphira. You remember that couple who sold a piece of property and lied about how much it was? Wanted to look good? They wanted to act like they were giving everything when in fact they kept some for themselves. There was no problem with keeping some for themselves. It was the lying about it. And in verse 3, Peter says to Ananias, but Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. You see where the battle was? It was a spiritual battle in Ananias' heart, in his mind. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You see this again. Paul writes to the Corinthians in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 11, I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve, there again, where's the battle? In the mind of Eve. By his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and you see the same theme. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, speaking to leaders, he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. Now watch verse 25. Here's part of my role and the elders' roles as spiritual leaders. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Notice the battle is in the mind. Satan has captured their minds, and the spiritual leader's role is to give them a knowledge of the truth to free them from that grasp. So the war we're fighting, folks, is a spiritual war that happens in the mind. Now that naturally comes to a fifth concept that you need to understand to follow Paul's teaching in Ephesians 6. Number five, the war between God and Satan is a battle of ideas and thoughts. The battle between God and Satan is a battle of ideas and thoughts. In other words, if as we just learned, the war between God and Satan takes place in the minds of men, then the war has to primarily be a battle of thoughts and ideas. You see that even here in Ephesians. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1. You remember we, we studied these passages. As we begin to sweep our way through, Paul's great concern is their thoughts, what's going on in their minds. So he prays for them in chapter 1. And he says in verse 17, I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and the surpassing greatness of His power. The problem is in your thoughts. That's why the first half of this letter is all about what we know. You see this again over in chapter 4. He reminds us in verse 17 that when we were unbelievers, we walked in the futility of our minds, darkened in our understanding. Ignorance characterized us because of a hard heart. But instead, now we, verse 20, learn Christ. We've been taught in Him. And verse 23, now we are going to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, in the, the attitude, the, the grid through which we see the world. Our minds are going to be renewed. Why is that important? Because the battle between God and Satan is one of ideas and thoughts. That's why when you come to chapter 6, verse 17, we're to put on the helmet of salvation. It protects our minds, our thinking, our thoughts. And what's the greatest weapon that we use in this battle? Verse 17 of chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's God's thoughts and ideas against Satan's thoughts and ideas, one being true and the other being false. In fact, turn over to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul makes this exact point. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3, he says, We walk in the flesh, that is, we're physical, we're human, but we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not physical, but they're divinely powerful. Why? Because we're destroying fortresses. What kind of fortresses? speculations, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's where the battle is. It's those fortresses of ideas and thoughts and speculations versus the truth of God. That's where the war happens. Number six, and this Bills on the previous one. Every idea in the universe and every thought that goes through our minds, every idea and every thought can be traced either to God or to Satan. Every idea and every thought can be traced either to God or to Satan. Understand this. Every idea that exists, every thought that passes through your mind is either the truth and can be traced ultimately back to God Himself, or it is a lie and can be traced back to Satan. Turn over to John 8. Our Lord makes this point. 
John chapter 8, he gives us this contrast. He's talking with the Jews who don't believe in him. And he says to them in John 8, 40, But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. So here is the truth. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, wait a minute, we're not born of fornication. There's an implied slam on Jesus being born of a virgin there. We have one father, and that's God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. Why is that? You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. I speak the truth. Now, do you see what's going on here? Jesus says there are two streams, if you will. There is the stream of truth, and there is the stream of lies. And if you follow those streams back, those streams end at two fountainheads. The stream of truth ends in God, and the stream of lies ends in Satan as its fountainhead. And that's it. Those are the only two streams. Those are the only two fountainheads. Folks, it is absolutely crucial that you understand this. Every idea, every thought to which your mind is exposed is a part of the war that is going on between God and Satan. There are no neutral ideas or thoughts. Let me say that again. There are no neutral ideas or thoughts. Every idea or thought ultimately goes back to its source, either to God or to Satan. It is either part of the truth or it is part of the lie. So you have to be on your guard. When you read a book or a magazine, you are exposed to ideas and thoughts. When you listen to music, you are exposed to ideas and thoughts. When you watch a TV program or you watch a movie, when you talk with your friends, or frankly, when you just sit and think about a situation on your own, every thought that enters your mind is either the truth that can be traced back to God or it is a lie that can be traced back to Satan. That means we should never let any idea or any thought that comes into our mind go unchallenged or untested. What does God say? What does the Bible say? Folks, you're in a war. That thought, that idea that comes into your mind may be from the enemy sent to distract you or to destroy you. There's a seventh foundational concept. Christ forever defeated Satan and his demon army at the cross. Christ forever defeated Satan and his demon army at the cross. You see, the enemy we face is more powerful, more resourceful, more intelligent than we are. That's the whole point Paul's making in Ephesians 6. We face a powerful, evil, conniving adversary. But here's the good news. Christ already won the war. The victory was promised all the way back in Eden in Genesis 3. He will crush the head of the serpent. 
The victory was accomplished at the cross. Look over at Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2. He mentions at the end of verse 14, the cross, and then he says about the cross, verse 15, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, there are those demon powers, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, through his death. The victory was accomplished at the cross. 1 John 3 says, For this purpose the Son of God has come, that is to destroy the works of the devil. And he did it at the cross. And that victory that Christ accomplished at the cross will be finalized in the future. I love the way Paul ends the book of Romans in chapter 16. He says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. In Revelation 20, you can read about that as God, in the person of the second person of the Trinity, throws Satan into the lake of fire and brimstone where they are tormented day and night forever. Jesus won the war. You say, well, I thought I was still in the war. After the Japanese formally surrendered at the end of World War II, you've probably read or seen documentaries on the fact that there were pockets of Japanese soldiers scattered all around the Pacific who didn't get the news that their leaders had surrendered. And so they continued to fight. So the Allied forces had to continue to fight for weeks after the war. The enemy had been defeated, but there were mopping up operations that still had to be done. That's exactly how it is with us as Christians. At the cross, our Lord defeated His enemies. The victory is secure. The outcome is certain. But for us who are on the front lines, we're still locked in a battle. And that battle will continue until Christ returns or until He calls us home. But the good news is, Jesus has defeated our enemy. That means He has the strength and the know-how to do it. And that brings us to the final concept that undergirds this passage. Number eight, our only hope of winning the war is the strength of Christ and the armor of God. Our only hope of winning the war is the strength of Christ and the armor of God. Look at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Only with His strength will you be successful. Verse 11, Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Only by using not our armor, but God's armor will we stand firm. It can happen. Christian, do you realize you're in a war? You know, this week I was watching some of the episodes of Ken Burns' wonderful series on the Civil War. And as I watched that, I was struck with how strange it would be to have a war raging right here in America. Since the Civil War, of course, all of our wars have been elsewhere. But imagine what it would be like if the war against the Taliban or the Iraqis were being fought right here in North Texas. What if there were a foreign enemy lurking squads and platoons and battalions everywhere. How would that change you? You'd always be on the alert, looking for every sign of danger. You'd never let your weapon get far away. 
You'd be constantly looking for the smallest threat. And if you left home as you traveled, you'd always be looking on the horizon for any sign of danger. And when you arrived home, you would carefully survey your house and inspect every door and every room. You'd always be on your guard. That's exactly how it is spiritually. The enemy we're fighting doesn't come at us with guns and bayonets and tanks and airplanes. The enemy we're fighting is attacking us with ideas and thoughts. So stop acting like it's peacetime. Like it or not, you're in the army now. Let's pray together. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed. And that was part two of Learning to Use God's Armor. Tom will have part three next time, and we would love it if you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth. Music